Hi, this is Carol. And this is Ryan. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the Biffers. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Biffers. This is Carol. And this is Ryan. Hello. And I am just so excited for today's conversation because uh, no, no joke, I've probably been bugging Ryan for six months, maybe a year to get this guest. <laughs> I, I only heard like little breadcrumbs about our upcoming guests. And I was just like, we, we have to know more. I have to know more. Who is she? How, how did he become friends? What is she doing? This is all amazing how she's kind of just created this amazing company that I'm, I'm just obsessed with. Um, and so we have the pleasure today of having Raquel Velez on the show to talk about not only her company, Alpine Parrot, but also her, which I find incredibly fascinating. And I'll jump the shark a little bit. This is one of Ryan's really good friends. And so anyone that's like super close to Ryan, I am naturally interested in because I'm like, oh, tell me more about this person you chat with every Friday. <laughs> I give a scheduled meeting with a friend every, I was like, what do you guys talk about? How do you know each other? Um, so I'm just fascinated by them, their friendship and her, the more I get to know her. So I'm so excited to have Raquel on the show today and to share her with all of our listeners. Uh, Raquel Fellas is the founder and CEO of Alpine Parrot, an outdoor apparel company that caters specifically to people of size and people of color. She brings with her almost two decades of engineering experience, having received her degree in mechanical engineering from Caltech, worked and studied as a robotics engineer, and eventually shifting over to software engineering and engineering management. Now, as an apparel engineer, she creatively tackles one of the oldest and most polluting industries by creating sustainable, inclusive clothing for a market of people who have so often been neglected in the outdoor space. As a plus-size Latina who discovered her love of the outdoors later in life, Raquel has put an incredible amount of careful consideration into the design of each product, focusing on great fit and quality construction. She was named one of Outside Magazine's Outsiders of the Year in 2021. Please welcome Rocky to the Biffers. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Hi! Hi! It's so good to be here. It's so good to hang out with the two of you. This is so fun. Also, every time I hear my bio, I go, who's that? That's you! <laughs> you, you did all that. <laughs> I think we often, I don't know, the, um, our society very much abhors uh, people who are not modest unless you're a white dude um so you know it's it's careful deconstructing of the patriarchy as I listen to my bio and go no that's good that's me I did that <laughs> but it's hard <laughs> I think it'd be a fun exercise if people wrote their bios you know quarterly or you know every year just to hear how amazing they are um like I didn't know Absolutely. half of this when I started to hear your name, I just knew I'd being rushed off the phone because she had to go talk to you at Friday <laughs> at some consistent time. And I'm like, oh, who are we talking to? Why, why are you rushing me off the phone? Definitely. <laughs> um, and then to hear that you make an outdoor apparel company or you have an outdoor apparel company that makes mm -hmm. really amazing size inclusive clothing 
And I was mm -hmm. super intrigued by this because um, I'm definitely more of an indoor cat. Like it's 92 degrees where we currently are. And I'm like, Whoo! I don't know how people do it. I don't, I was like, y'all need more trees. It's hot. Um, but I really do wish that I had more of that side of myself that likes to be outside, you know? And I think it, talking to you even before today's conversation, it really affirmed the fact that something has been kind of been taken away from us that you're trying to kind of put back in. When I say us, I mean like people of color and women and all of that, right? Um, yeah. So I'm just really fascinated to hear more about you, but I also think it's just so fascinating that you guys met while in high school. Um, yeah. Lawrenceville, New Jersey. <laughs> so I think before we get into like your current role, I want to hear about little Raquel. <laughs> little, little Ryan. And you go to this, you know, East Coast prep school, boarding school that has, you know, quite the reputation. It always has, you know, it's it's a big deal. And I'm just like, wow, like, how did you guys find each other? No shade to my friend, but she's an English major, right? Yes. Yeah. You're more English, history, art. No, I'm not in the science building. I'm right. trying to avoid the science building. <laughs> that let no, you're right. <laughs> there's there's not really a, a reason for us to be crossing paths <laughs> in the academic No, sense. no. Except, except that we were randomly assigned to the same house right and that's really what it came down to is that we um there is a a harry potter-esque uh sorting hat that chose ryan and i to both be members of steven's house and um now ryan you joined lawrenceville when you were a sophomore that's right So i didn't get to know you freshman year so when we showed up sophomore year and started moving in um I'll be totally honest I saw this new human and I was like uh there's just this bright energy coming out of this human and I must I must know it <laughs> I must know this brightness I must go um and I honestly do not remember the first minute we met I could not tell you Ryan but I do remember that like we were like two magnets just <laughs> yes yes almost immediately almost immediately yes, yes. Yeah. um so I want I'm like dying to skip ahead and you know Carol and I were chatting at lunch and I was sharing with her you know we yes you're Caltech clearly you're a science person I am not I am. um but when our paths did cross you know, whether it be, you know, whether it was at the house or randomly walking across campus, um, I was always so happy to see you. And it always felt like we could kind of pick up where we left off or just, we just launched into a conversation. There, there was never that awkwardness that exists, you know, between sometimes friends who don't talk, you know, for a long yeah. time or, you know, and I also would like to point out, like, there were no bad feelings, at least not on my side, right? There was no nope, like never. blame for, well, you didn't, you didn't reach out. You didn't invite me to sit with you in the dining hall. Like you didn't, did, but whatever. There was none of that, you know, it was yeah. just pure joy and happiness that we, you know, mm -hmm. were cross paths and we had some time to talk and connect. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think it also helped that you were a day student and I was a boarding student. And there were so many times where you'd just be walking down the hall and I would like pop out and then we'd just start talking and then we'd like find our way into my room and we're just like sitting there lounging, chatting. And the next thing we know, it's dark and (laughs) you're all like, I have to go and like do homework and things. I was like, oh yeah, me too. Um, I mean, it was just so, it was such an, it's such an easy friendship. Um, and I think that there's, there's a lot of people out there who tell me about like, oh my gosh, this person, I haven't heard from them in a million years. They must, they must hate me. And it's like, no, that's not something I have with Ryan. Like you and I, we could go literally a decade and did and did (laughs) actually it might've even been longer than that. Um, but it was, fine it was totally fine we just picked up where we left off and and um yeah yeah I I just I don't know it it was such a it's such a great friendship and I don't remember how it started um but I know it's not over so yeah that's right (laughs) well you know Carol referenced our like Friday afternoon zooms and Mm -hmm. you know you were coming to Kansas city for work and like called me randomly. I mean, it had been more than a decade and I saw my phone ringing and it just, it said Rocky on it. And it was, it happened to be my birthday. My dad was in town and I looked at him and I was like, something very, I was like, I I was sort of picked up the phone, like, hello. And you're like, Hey, it's, is this Rocky? This is Rocky. I'm like, Oh God. And I was so excited. You know, we, we had a long coffee, you know, when you had a break from, you know, your work responsibilities and, you know, then it was just like, we just need to talk more because we really Mm -hmm. like each other and still like each other, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just, it, it gave me such like, you know, my cup was filled after Mm -hmm. being able to spend time with you. Um, you know, that morning and, you know, I love that. So no, I live in the Midwest. You live on the West coast. We got a time difference. Mm -hmm. We have work schedule differences, but you know, we, we made it a point to have these like once a month, Friday afternoon zooms. And I look forward to them. Um, Same. Same. Yeah. I was telling Ryan, like what, so what really piqued my interest initially is her, you know, rekindling the friendship with you is that, you know, I growing up knew no one like Ryan, right? So I was a a public school kid in the suburbs in the South. Um, And then I meet Ryan, I meet our friend Devin, who's also an independent school kid, um, New York and you, you're, and I'm like, these super competent, amazing women who just own who they are. Like, I am just very curious about this because it feels, you know, I grew up in the South. We both, we all went to predominantly white schools, but in some way, it's so interesting to see how it shaped you guys and your friendship and how it shaped, you know, me, like growing up in suburban black girl, you know, I felt very much like I had to wear the double polo, the Clinique happy, um, I had to, you know, wear a certain type of jean, you know, and I had to have a certain um, uh, aesthetic, super permed hair, (laughs) really fried and frizzy. Um, 
And I, and when I, you know, kind of like what you're saying, when you meet someone who is so confident and you're attracted to that person, I'm like, how did you, how did this happen? This is amazing. Like, I want to know how you were able to grow up feeling so confident in yourself, also so seen and so um, accomplished because, you know, I went to, I think a pretty good school, but there was no expectations on me. I think it's interesting, you know, you go to a boarding school or independent day school, you really have to show them who you are um, to get in. Whereas in public school, my address just put me at the school that I'm at. And so there's no pressure on me to be anything or no expectation. If anything, there's almost this, these, these thoughts of, well, you can't, or you won't do something, certain things because of who you are. Um, I just think it's just so interesting how it just changed you as women and how it kind of grew. Um, so I can also see why you're drawn to each other because you're at these predominantly white schools, you get each other and it's at a different level mm-hmm. than maybe your other yeah. classmates. I mean, it's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. And there are definitely, I mean, we've all heard of imposter syndrome. I I suffer from it all the time. Like there are, you know, even just earlier when I was like, who's that person in that bio? Is that really me? Um, and, and so it's, it's funny, but I think also confidence is a, it's a defense mechanism almost sometimes that in, in a world where a lot of people are constantly making assumptions about you, you have to be like, no, no, (laughs) you, I'm not going to let you write my story for me. I'm going to write my story for me. Um, and you know, sometimes it gets you into trouble, but I think a lot of times, when you are able to project who you are and this sense of confidence, even if you don't always feel it, um, it like meets like, and, and you find other people who are like that as well. Um, it's, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. I think, I think Ryan is one of the most confident people I ever met in my entire life. And that's probably why I was so drawn to you, Ryan. Um, and I think also, and I'm just going to throw this out here. Um, not a lot of people of color who were the same size as me um, in high school, Ryan, you and I were like the same size. We could actually never in my life could I ever swap clothes with somebody until I met Ryan, which was a huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I would like to say, I mean, you know, we, we look back now, right. As people who are, you know, we had our 20th reunion this year. We'll just leave it at that. Uh huh. <laughs> but we were not large people. They were just all really small people. Yes. Like I know that now, but that information was not being processed by my brain in that way because, mm-hmm. you know, at such a traditional, East Coast boarding school situation, there was one aesthetic for, you know, girls that was what it was, you know, it was sort of waif-like, you know, blonde. Mm-hmm. If you had blue eyes, that'd be great. Um, you know, kind green of- Green was okay too. Green green was green acceptable. Was good too. That's true. You probably got an point <laughs> for green or maybe a good hazel. Um, you know, just plain old brown eyes. Not, wasn't, wasn't, loved boring and yeah it was just but like people were tiny tiny humans and Mm -hmm. so many of them around us and it's like you know I've I've had to put a size to it maybe we were like I don't know a 10 
a 12? I think, yeah, it was like a 12. It was a 12. And I just remember being like, oh my God, I don't fit into anything. I can't, like people would be like, oh, you can just try my stuff on. And I'd be like, no, nope. I cannot. I not wear the same clothes as you. Like I remember going, um, do you remember Ryan, how like people would go to Princeton on the weekends? Mm-hmm. And I remember this one time we went to J Crew because of course you go to J Crew. Of course. Or, um, or Banana Republic to try on clothes. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, this is going to be so embarrassing. And I remember finding some clothes that fit me. And I was like, oh, wow, I could actually like shop and stuff like all the other kids. Um, but like, it was just such a weird thing. Anyway, I just wanted to like point that out. Like there's also just this, oh my gosh, we come from, we come from a like, similar stock of human as well. Like it's mm-hmm. not this, like there was just this visual uh, uh, mind, like melding of, of human interest as a, like in addition to this like uh, emotional one. Absolutely. That I think makes a huge, huge point as well. I agree. <laughs> and I also think there was a layer of, you know, we're both, you know, then girls, now women of color. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking to Carol about the fact that, you know, there were these layers that helped us connect. And it felt like, you know, there was something going on with the rest of y'all. You know, it's not that we, I didn't feel that I was an outsider, but I always, I didn't always feel like I was on the inside either. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. I, yes. I always felt like we connected in a way that all those different levels just like clicked into place. And in a way that like, maybe sometimes we called out, maybe sometimes we didn't, but there was, that was the basis of the understanding that like, we occupy the same space. We speak the same language. We know what we mean when we say like, them and her and what's going on over (laughs) next door and you know it just it it was it was a shorthand I wanted to also say I was I'm super grateful that I had that with you um and I was also thinking about the the confidence piece I think for me you know when you're so uncomfortable all the time you get used to being uncomfortable, right? Like there's, you just have to lean into what's uncomfortable, right? For me, it was improv class in the 10th grade with all preppy white boys. Spoiler alert, we don't think the same things are funny. (laughs) That was very uncomfortable for me. I tried multiple times to drop that class. Um, And, but I also think the more you have to walk into a room and not see anyone who looks like you represents you in any way and you have to own it and i and you know you and we had to own it over and over and over again multiple times a day for years you know yes. in a dining yes. hall in a gym on a field in a classroom in the mm-hmm. common room right? Like Mm. in all these different places, you, we just had to own who we were day in and day out. And for me, I know that that is one of the things that has shaped me into who I am because, Mm -hmm. you know, now I I know who I am. I'm proud of who I am, you know, Mm -hmm. but before I I had to steal myself and eventually Mm -hmm. that evolved, right? It was a lot. That place was a lot. 
it was a lot. It was so much. It was so much. And I think also uh, as a freshman, I latched on to people in the year above me. Mm. Um, and, and that was a huge deal. And I realized by doing that, I didn't have a ton of friends at my same year. And so meeting you, Ryan, was also like uh, a, a, a lifeline that I managed to kind of like hold on to when I needed it. But then senior year was when I really needed it because the, the people in the year above us had graduated. And that was like a huge, a huge deal as well. And I remember being so proud of you, but also really disappointed, not disappointed. I was sad. I was sad for myself. I was jealous and sad, uh, but happy for you when you became a prefect and you were in the, in the freshman dorm senior year. Mm-hmm. And I was often the, in the senior dorms um, because the dorms that we were in were only for sophomores and juniors. And, um, and I, I missed you a lot, but I still got to see you. Still got to see you. We still got to hang, but I still missed you a lot. Um, and then, but I was, I'm trying to think, did we ever have classes together? I don't even know if we were in the same class. Oh no! As as mentioned earlier, you were in like <laughs> like English math for English real every real day, smart every science people, and I was in like pre college algebra, like trying <laughs> to make trying yeah, English. We we I don't even think we ever had a class together. I don't honestly. think we had a class together. Not oh. one, because I think English and history would have been the only shot at it. Oh yeah, no, but history. I took I took history for international students because I'm not a liberal arts person at all. I took I took the easiest. Even though that was a class, basic American history, and I was like, "This is my speed. I can handle." That is very funny. Oh my goodness! Oh, I'm curious. Did I take English like a real? Looking back at your 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 origin story, but also your restart. We like to talk about like the green flags of friendship and what what makes a good friend, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and as we said earlier, now as adults, you very different lives, very different pace of life, um, very different things that you're doing, she's doing. Um, just kind of curious, like what are some of those green flags? I think it's encouraging for people to hear, like just pick up the phone. Um, sometimes we think too much time has passed and that there's, there's no such thing. I always get very yeah. happy when I see someone reach out from a long time ago. I never think like, oh, where have you been? But I'm like, oh yes. Hi. You know, yeah. so just, you know, looking back at a kind of this last, what, a couple of years you guys have reconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anything that you, I, either, either of you would say is like, these are some green flags. These are things that you would really appreciate in an adult friendship versus when you're kids, you know, and how to keep that going. Yeah. I think, I think definitely like the, the excitement for reconnecting as opposed to the, like any sort of animosity, like I haven't heard from you. What makes you think you can like, there was like, there's never anything like that between me and Ryan. And then also just the genuine interest in each other's lives. Like our lives are so different, except then we find out that we both married like similar humans mm-hmm. and we're like wait that's interesting and so we can like share notes and be like okay wait so how did you handle your husband not having a job for months and months and months and months 
<laughs> you know, like things like that. It was hard. <laughs> so hard. So hard. Um, but yeah, finding the commonalities um, and and being excited for that. But I mean, the fact that we have to have a timer on our calls because otherwise we will sit there for six hours if if we're not careful. Um, yeah, pro tip schedule your meetings out so that by the time it's over, you know that the next one's already going to come up. So you can be like, okay, we're going to talk about moisturizer next time. Like, why did we talk about moisturizer? I don't know, but we just remembered, we need to remember to talk about it the next time. I actually do remember why we talked about moisturizer. I know. I think we did too. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't remember why we talked about it. I just, I, I remember that we did put yes. down, we got to talk about moisturizer next time. And then you gave me all these suggestions and then I didn't, didn't do anything with them, but um, but that's okay. <laughs> I followed up. Um, you did. I would say a green flag for me is you know, there's this phrase like give people their flowers while they can smell them. Mm. You know, mm. like I feel that I want to tell you and all my you know, very good friends, you know, why I love you, you know, why. Mm you're wonderful, why I think you're brilliant, why I think you're cool, like what I admire about you. Um, I think you and I are very good at that um, when we talk to each other. And and I don't feel like it's um, it's intentional and it's, um, it's heartfelt, but it's not like planned out, right? You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's very organic, but I find that that happens in our conversations a lot. Like, man, I admire this about you you know like Mm -hmm. you know I really admire that you don't always make the traditional decision and you know some in a way like it's encouraged me to make some you know less traditional decisions as of late and um yeah so I just I appreciate that about our conversations as well yeah definitely definitely I think I, I think it's just we're we're always there for each other, even if we're not necessarily need to be there. Like it's it's one of those things where I don't call you all the time, but if I I knew that if I ever needed to, you'd pick up. Of course. <laughs> and ditto, right? Yeah. You call me, I'm like, okay. Um, there was a an entertaining uh text exchange where like it was we we texted and then nothing happened for a little while and then texting started back again and it was like no hard feelings no that's cool everything's fine that's right well I also think oh I remember you sent me like a meme and then I didn't respond and you thought I was upset and I was like girl I literally wrote like it's gonna take more than a meme to break up this friendship (laughs) (laughs) and by the way just so people know the the meme was about an Oxford comma. Like that's how nerdy we are. <laughs> it's true. It is about, true. Like I, I genuinely think that was the first fight we've ever had. And it wasn't even really a fight. Fight? It was barely a disagreement. Well, you're all like, no, Oxford comma, all or no, you said no Oxford comma. And I was like, I don't know. This is this is this is a hard thing for me. Like I, I can't without the Oxford comma. Um, but anyway, that's what happens when you go to a liberal arts middle or high school. 
it's true. You learn about these things and you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you learn better than that. It's so silly. It's so silly. <laughs> no, I think those are great. Those are great tips. Like we have to schedule these things. Like life is so busy that we have to schedule these things. I remember when I was a high school advisor and I said to the, the parents were complaining about, we're just sharing maybe a little edge of complaining that you know they don't have time to their kids or schedules are all over the place they miss the summer where they could connect with them and I said you have to schedule it and you know when a parent got kind of like at the scheduled time with my own kid and I said sometimes sometimes that's the season that you're in not all the time you don't live in the same dorm anymore you don't see each other and you know getting coffee at work so you have to schedule it and that's just kind of the way that it is. Um, and I appreciate a friend who can use a Google invite. Yes. You know, I put that on my calendar. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're now that part of our adulthood. <laughs> we're like scheduling things many, a month in advance, but you know what? It's good. Just like when with, with a hair appointment, if I don't schedule those things in advance, they never happen. My self-care mm-hmm. falls apart. You know, like scheduling things makes things happen. Your future self will thank you. You know, you could think, oh, I don't know what I'm going to talk to her about next month, but your future self will be like, I'm so glad we had this schedule. There's, of course, things to talk about. Um, and pretending that is, it will just happen, maybe, mm-hmm. but I would always stack the cards in your favor and let's say, see you next month at this time. I have a group of friends as well. We used to work together, but now we don't, but we're, we're, te- we, are very good about trying to keep in touch, even via text, which is hard when you don't work together, you don't see the same people, you can't laugh at the same things mm-hmm. at work. Um, so, you know, we really have to be really intentional about that reach out. And before we leave, we have uh, dinner every month. Before we leave the dinner table, we schedule the next meeting. Yes. Time in between there, we figure out where it's going to be, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that because I'm definitely someone who, I don't need a lot of energy from people. Like mm-hmm. I probably those weirdos who, you know, COVID happened. I was like, nice. I get to stay home. I get to read my books, you know, like I don't have to get dressed. Like it for me, it kind of worked with my personality. So having these like scheduled reach outs, I think is good, even for the introvert. So if you're feeling like, I don't think I have the energy to keep up with that just once a month. And I love when my therapist says it's not a commitment, it's an experiment. You know, you're just seeing how it goes. You can always change frequency or, you know, people just experiment. And I, I don't know, as we get older, I kind of feel like our life is so much more like adult. Like we were talking earlier about garage doors and tree trimming. (laughs) I want to be cool again. Um, But, you know, life just is so different as we get older, you know, and I really um, appreciate just having conversations that doesn't involve my garage or overgrown trees or, you know, painting something, you know, it just kind of feels good to be like, let's talk about moisturizer. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about us. Let's talk about you. Remind me of who I am. Yeah. Yeah. I love seeing, I mean, I love a good trash reality show, but that's not what it's about. You know, like Real Housewives is not about saying, bro, you're amazing. I love your company. Of course, I'll share it on Instagram. No, it's about like tearing people down, which, you know, I like the yin and the yang. Um, but in real life, you really need women who can support you, I think. People in your life yeah. who can support you. So 
I just was struck by your friendship hearing it from Ryan. Um, and so thank you for sharing all of that about how you started, <laughs> who you are today. Um, and now I'm kind of curious about like, how did you become someone who was so passionate about the outdoors? Um, yeah. You clearly <laughs> didn't start in high school, you know? No. Um, but it's interesting <laughs> to kind of hear that one of the things you connected about was size. And seeing each other mm-hmm. and being able to fit into clothes and to go shopping was such a validating win mm-hmm. for yourself, but also made you feel like yeah. you're able to be a part of the group. It's just it's so much, right? So I don't know. I would just love to hear more about like your journey and how you became a founder of your own apparel company, but also the outdoors. Like that's an interesting, yeah. could have gone to the lingerie. You could have, I don't know. Totally. <laughs> totally. Apparel. I thought. I thought about starting a jeans company, I'll be honest with you, because really jeans is where it all started, believe it or not. Um, I I hate buying jeans. I think jeans and swimsuits are the universal hatred of things to buy. It's just the worst. You never know if it's going to properly fit. It usually doesn't fit perfectly. And you're you feel like ugh, it's just the worst feeling. So I, I hate buying jeans and I figured, you know what? I have a degree in mechanical engineering. Surely I could make my own jeans. How hard could it be? <laughs> and uh, to your, to your you know, earlier point, Carol, this idea of, you know, how do you, how do you go outside your comfort zone? I think this is a, this is one of the gifts that engineering has taught me. Uh, it's this over, <laughs> over inflated sense of ego of like how hard could it be i've gotten myself into so much trouble with that that one phrase how hard could it possibly be um but it's also brought me the most interesting challenges and the most mm-hmm. interesting perspectives and so i was like how hard could it be to make my own pair of jeans well obviously i should learn how to sew um we did not have home ec in high school um that was not an option for us. Um, I was actually very privileged in middle school. There was a home ec class, um, but I didn't take it uh, because we had a woodshop class uh, option as well. And I chose the woodshop class over the home ec class. So I never learned to sew as a kid, even though my dad sews, my grandmother sews, both of my grandmothers sewed. Um, and so I just never learned it. I didn't. And so I started with a pillow making class and I was like, all right, well, this is great. This is, this is engineering. Like I have to do fractions and there, I felt so bad. There are people there trying to do fractions with their fingers and like, okay, if I do this and I was like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm trained for this. I can make a square. Um, <laughs> but that's how it starts. Right. And it's, it is quite engineering. Um, and the, the pillow, like begat uh, buying patterns at Joann's and trying to make clothes and realizing that I needed more instruction. And that led down to a path where I ended up learning how to make my own patterns. I went to a pattern making school. And then um, from, it was at the pattern making school that I was in a class where I got to design a, um, a line of clothes. And I decided to design a 
uh, an eight piece plus size women's snow line, um, which we'll get to why I designed a snow line in a second. Um, but in presenting that to my, uh, my teacher, she pulled me aside at the end of the class and she was like, you've got to do this. You've got to do this because there's no one out there who's doing this right now. And you are your own customer. This is such a special opportunity. When you think about who are the people in charge of all of these brands that you put in your closet, 99% of the time, they are not people who look like you. <laughs> Unless you happen to be, you know, a, a specific part member of the majority. Um, and it's like, oh, interesting. What an interesting opportunity. So that that was really my apparel journey. I ended up going and taking classes on how to start apparel companies. I went to a boot camp on how to work in a factory, how do factories work. Um, and ultimately I was like, you know what? <laughs> I tried making jeans and now I'm going to start making hiking pants. And this is fascinating. Um, how hard could it possibly be to start an, an outdoor apparel company? Um, and that's, you know, like, I guess. <laughs> so, so that's my apparel side of the journey. Um, the outside part of the journey, um, I did not grow up in the outdoors. Uh, the idea of voluntarily sleeping on the ground outside in the cold was not my parents' definition of success. It was very much, <laughs> that's the thing that you uh, have to do when you get so destitute because you have failed to you know, live the American dream, not this thing that you choose to do. And I think that's something that is very important to point out that people with privilege choose to do things that people without privilege are forced to do. And, um, and so like, there's a lot of unpacking that I think people need to, to do with themselves and with therapy and et cetera, to, to understand that when you get, there's a point at which you get to choose some of these things. And that's not a bad thing. That's, that's good. That, that does mean that you have moved into a, a strata of, of financial and, um, and just like emotional safety that you get to do that. Um, and so I, I started my, my journey with the outdoors did actually start with when I was a kid, like my family is from Puerto Rico, which is one of the most beautiful, naturally beautiful places on the planet. But we never stayed overnight places. If we stayed overnight, it was like, at least in a cabin or a hotel or something like that. My mother used to say that camping was staying at a Holiday Inn Express. Um, and <laughs> that's what I grew up with. That's what I grew up with. And I, um, but like, we would go on what I call nature walks. We'd be like, oh yeah, let's go to El, Yuc El Junque, which is the jungle in, in Puerto Rico. It's a national forest. Um, or let's go to the beach. Let's go to the mangrove park. Like just beautiful things. We just go for a wander. Like we didn't have maps and compasses and snacks. We had water, but like it wasn't this like planned out thing. And so I very distinctly remember in high school, I can picture specific people um, who were part of this like outdoor club and they would all like get their sleeping bags. And I was just like, why would you voluntarily do that? That doesn't make any sense to me. 
Um, but when I met my husband, he was very much more of a, like, let's go for hikes. And I'm like, oh, let's go for a wander. He's like, no, no, we're going to go for a hike. We're going to plan out our trail and we're going to think through these things because we need to walk the dog. And I was like, oh, we're doing it for the dog. We're not doing it for me. We're not doing it for him. We're doing it for the dog. <laughs> but then we found these, we were living in North Carolina at the time. And that's another beautiful place. And like, there would be these trees. And I was like, oh, it's so nice to not have to like, think about some of this stuff. And um, anyway, fast forward, the the hiking, eventually we left North Carolina, moved to San Francisco. And my husband wanted to learn how to ski. And I was like, yeah, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm allergic to snow. This is a terrible idea. Even though I grew up in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> I hated snow days. <laughs> I mean, I liked the snow days when I didn't have to go to class. But when you go to a place like Lawrenceville, where, um, what is it, 80% of the faculty live on campus, um, and 80% of the students also live on campus, there are no snow days. No. Nope. There are no snow days. You learn how to crawl over the snow banks, and you find your way to class. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is real. This is real. Yeah. Um so I did not love snow, but um, but he wanted to learn how to ski. And I was really scared that he was going to like fall and break his leg and would be lost in the mountain forever. Um, so I was like, okay, I will go with you, but we have to take a class. We have to take a lesson. There's something, um, Bobby loves a class. I do. I love a class. I love learning. She's like, teach me. Let's go. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Um, and long story short, I completely and totally fell in love with it. I fell in love with skiing. I thought it was one of the most freeing experiences of my life. Just the way that you fly down the side of a mountain, like the air is in your face and there's nothing going on in your brain because all you can think about is get to the bottom, don't fall down, get to the bottom, don't fall down. And it's meditative. It's an active meditation. And um, I learned that if you wear the right clothing, you're not cold. It's not actually, you're not wet. Um, and so it was very much a, an, like a, an opportunity for me to, to have this existence that is different from anything that I'd experienced before. Um, and so mm -hmm. skiing was my gateway sport to the outdoors. It was uh, when I couldn't go skiing, we'd go hiking in the mountains when we couldn't make it to the mountains, I started climbing in climbing gyms. Um, and, and so like these things just started to advance and, and become more of a thing. And then the pandemic happened and my husband was like, we should go camping. And I was like, I like the idea of sleeping under the stars, but I don't like bugs. I'm not a bug person, very arachnophobic in fact. And, and so like we found ways to mitigate these things. And next thing I knew I was camping and I was, we had a, we got a, a camper and so I could actually like sleep on a bed instead of on the ground. But then a few years later I did go camping on the ground and then I started backpacking and the exposure of, of, of being out in nature to me, it is an opportunity to connect with, with the land, with the air, 
and in many ways also my ancestors. Because I hear a lot of folks of color who are like, my ancestors would roll over in the grave if they found out that I was doing blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yes, what about your ancestors' ancestors who were there outside, one with the land, one with nature, and then their, their choice to be outside was taken from them. And that's something that I try to take it back. I'm like, no, I'm taking this back because there's so much solace and strength that happens when you're outside. And uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that until I actually got to spend some time out there. But I do not take lightly the fact that there is generational trauma and generational fear amongst people of color because the woods are dangerous. Water is dangerous. Um, there are there are bad things that happen in the dark. Um, all of this is true. And, and the outdoors is also where I find so much joy mm-hmm. and peace. So it's complicated, but um, that's my, that's my outdoor story. And the hilarious thing is that I learned to ski the same weekend that I learned to sew. And <laughs> those two things happened the exact same week. And I was like, oh, how interesting. Like that's, that's one of those things that you only realize like, you know, multiple years later and you look back and you go, so all of this was supposed to happen. All things, all roads lead to Rome. but anyway that's amazing okay that is a a very funny factoid I love knowing that about you um so you have founded this company and so Mm -hmm. as you said earlier you know you're your own customer so Mm -hmm. can you talk to us about what it was like trying to get outfitted for your outdoor experiences Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you learn a new sport, honestly, when you learn something new, no matter what, it's ill-advised to buy all the things that you need to do that thing full-time. So for example, learning to ski, it is extremely expensive to be a skier. You got to buy skis. That's $800. You got to buy boots. That's another $800. You got to buy clothes, which can honestly easily be somewhere between, uh, Three hundred and a thousand dollars. You got to buy a helmet. You got to buy poles, and then that doesn't even include all the lift tickets and the transportation to get to the mountain and the housing at the mountain. All of these things make it very, very expensive. So, fortunately, the ski industry has realized that they are about to lose a bunch of customers um, because all the baby boomers are aging out, um, and so they need to find easier ways to get people in. So they have things like three-day intro packages for $100. And you're like, that sounds great. You can rent, like they'll basically give you a pair of skis, pair of boots, a helmet, uh, poles, all of the like equipment stuff. And then for $100, you get lift tickets and for three days and it's great. Fantastic. Um, So it, it can be very cheap to get in started. It's, <laughs> let's be real first one's free um and then <laughs> you get addicted and you're like oh, okay well this is an investment but when you start they didn't give me any clothes and so they're like hey just 
dress warmly and make sure that what you're wearing is waterproof. So I started skiing in sweatpants under rain pants and a hoodie under a rain jacket because that's what I had. That's what I had. And a lot of us will do that. We'll start new things. We'll go hiking in tennis shoes and uh, and leggings and a t-shirt. That's great. That's a great way to start. There's nothing wrong with that. Eventually you get to a point where, oh, my clothes are now limiting me in being able to meet the potential that I want to achieve. So now I have to like upgrade, you know, despite wearing raincoat and rain pants over sweats, um, I still fell down a lot and I had a soggy wet butt, cold butt, um, and that was not pleasant. So I was like, okay, it's time for me to invest in a pair of snow pants. Um, but when I went to my local shop, I couldn't find anything that fit. And that was very much a, I try to tell people that not having access to clothes that keep us safe and comfortable when we're in the outdoors is a physical barrier to entry. Basically tells people you don't belong out here because you don't fit. Literally, you don't fit into the clothes. Um, and that's just not acceptable to me because I wanted to continue doing these sports. And this is now, now you can see the connection of why I designed this eight piece, you know, plus size snow line. Um, and so that was really, that was the genesis of my company, Alpine Parrot, which I don't think we fully explained is an outdoor apparel company specifically for bigger bodies, period, full stop. That's what we do. So um, yeah, we decided to start with hiking instead of snow, mostly because if you think about the size of the snow industry and how much it costs to get into that industry, like I said, like it's thousands and thousands of dollars. It's very expensive versus how big the hiking industry is and the cost of entry for getting into hiking. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the inverse of, of snow. So I figured I'd start with hike and then work my way to snow eventually. What I thought was so interesting about your story and what you're sharing and how you kind of started your, um, your first design was in plus size snowsuit. I got really excited when I heard that because when I was teaching, um, one of the things I had to do was chaperone a trip to Montreal um, in February. And I was so excited because one of my friend who was running the trip said, I would love for you to come. I was like, that's awesome. My French is terrible. He could have chose anybody. But I felt like so excited that he invited me um, to yeah. help him chaperone this trip. Love hanging out with him. And then I got this kind of panic, like, what the heck do I wear in Montreal and Quebec in the winter? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought, okay, let me just go to REI. I couldn't mm-hmm. find anything. And I don't, I look back at those myself and my pictures. I was definitely smaller than what I am today. Like I, you know, like there wasn't any reason why they wouldn't have it, but I just really, I kind of had that aha moment. I was sharing with Ryan. I was like, help me find snow pants. So she was texting me and I was like, I don't even know if these companies are legit, but we got to just order from wherever they have them. I never found, I was even ordering men's clothes. Like I'll wear men's clothes. I don't care. Um, at this point, because time's running out, and I need to get dressed. Um, and I never found snow pants that, you know, fit perfectly. They're always tight and uncomfortable and um, 
you know, you see other brands and other quality, like I wish I could have worn something like that. I think you're right. I am from the South, but I live in New York and New Jersey for many, many years. I never knew how to properly dress for the winter time. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know anything about a base layer. And once Mm -hmm. I found those things, I was so happy. I was like, (laughs) <laughs> this is amazing. Like I could be outside and it's beautiful. Canada in the wintertime is gorgeous. But because I'd never have dressed for something like that, I never actually would have even had that on my radar to let's go visit Quebec in February, you know, for myself personally, you know. Um, my friend's a, a white guy who hikes all the time. Him and his husband, that's what they do. They love to travel and hike and um and it's amazing, like, you know, when you have access to those things, how the world kind of opens up to you, you know? Yeah. And I definitely limited yeah. myself because I just couldn't find clothes that fit. And then I didn't even know that I needed a base layer. I had no idea what this stuff was um, mm-hmm. or that people wore it, you know? And so it's interesting when you said earlier, you know, we're reclaiming these spaces from our ancestors, you know, even things like swimming at a beach was prohibited. Yeah. Um, yeah. not, not just that it was dangerous. Yes. But also like, oh, well you can't swim here. You can't enjoy these pleasures in life. Um, yeah. and I think you're right about healing generational trauma. Like I think back to my own childhood, I never did those things partly because my parents were working all the time, but also that was not part of, you know, growing up in the fifties and the sixties. So then they could freely do, let me just the black man walk around in the woods. Let's see what happens. Mm. You know, <laughs> have been like no, a, bad idea. Not alone or with a friend, another black guy. I don't think that would have been a good idea. Like a safety thing, a physical thing, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's interesting to hear y'all talk about safety and reclaiming these spaces because I feel like for myself and my kids, I really am trying to break those generational traumas. Like I've never really gone to the beach before until I was an adult. I even remember when I got married before Ryan, I was like, let's go to the beach before you get married. And I never would have crossed my mind, even though I live in New Jersey, you know, <laughs> I think to myself, what do people take? What do you, what, I I never really been to the beach before. Um, and so yeah. now with my kids, I really try to dive into that stuff, even though I get anxiety about it because I don't know if I need a tent, I don't know what kind of food to pack. I don't know what, what kind of blankets to, you see people with their whole setup <laughs> at the beach. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's impressive. Like you really know how to do this, but that's learned from years and years and generations and friends talking about these things that I'm just kind of beginning to do. And now my kids want to go camping. And I'm like, Where are you getting these ideas from? <laughs> Camp? What? <laughs> what are you watching on TV? Um, <laughs> I'm trying I my thing is well let me look into that maybe maybe I should take a class <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'll teach you I actually I have I have a bunch of friends who are doing all sorts of things um but uh but no but I think like I think about how my mother she never learned how to swim she never learned how to swim because my grandfather uh, believed that women should not learn how to swim or ride bikes, that their job was to be in the home. And so my uncle, my mother's brother learned all these things, but my mother never did. Um, but she, one of the first things that my sister and I had to learn and were exposed to were swim lessons. She was like, "Mm, you're going to learn how to swim. You're going to learn how to ride a bike. And like, I'm so grateful 
to her, she was terrified. Um, I remember the first time, uh, like I have a very strong memory of her getting into a pool and she just was like shaking. She had never learned how to swim. She still, you know, till the day she died, she never learned how to swim. But, uh, you know, so it, it was so interesting how every generation we have to undo past traumas, past uh, stereotypes and reclaim it for ourselves. So, you know, Carol, like huge props to you for doing that with your kids. It's, it's, you're, you're making future generations better. It doesn't always feel that way, maybe, but like, it's amazing what you're doing. That takes so much strength and courage. Doesn't sound like it doesn't feel like it, but your kids will remember, oh yeah, my mom went camping with us. We had no idea what we were doing, but look at me now, like 20 years later, they'll be like, you know, on National Geographic, just <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> we can tell the future. Um, so I'm kind of curious about, okay, so you're an engineer. You're mm-hmm. making pants right now and, and shirts. shirts. And shirts. How, you know, when we read your bio, I, I noted that you talked about how, um, you know, this industry is, it pollutes the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to talk about sustainability with you and kind sure. of your approach yeah. to uh, just to tackling that in terms of making garments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. super curious because this is something we haven't talked about on our Zooms. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, the first thing that I want to point out is that the word sustainability has gotten. I mean, we in the outdoor industry we call it greenwashing. Um, it's this idea of, oh yeah, we're totally sustainable because we use, I don't know, like we're just going to claim that we're sustainable, whatever that means. What is what does sustainability even mean? Mm-hmm. And. Um, so for some people, it's that it's 100% recyclable, or that it's 100% compostable, or that it's, um, I don't know, has reduced carbon emissions, or someone has paid um, carbon tax, like a carbon offset, um, or whatever, so many different things. Um, but I know what sustainability is not. Sustainability is not clothes sitting out in landfills just building up over and over and over every single day. Um, I believe sustainability is not overconsumption of, you know, fast fashion. And so there are lots of different ways to participate in a sustainability story. And the way that we tackle it is I want to make clothes that will last you so incredibly long that you're like, okay, this is, this is a high quality piece of clothing. Um, I try to tell people it should cost you no more than a dollar per wear. Um, so if it doesn't, then we've messed up and we need to rethink uh, our approach, our materials, things like that. Um, I try to make all of our stuff relatively easy to fix. If there are things that are, um, you know, if you tear something or um, whatever, you should be able to fix it relatively easy. Um, and I also think about, well, how do we maximize the amount of materials that we're putting into this? So for example, 
if you have, when you create clothing, you have to buy fabric in rolls, right? So imagine you buy a roll of fabric. It's usually like a hundred yards of fabric, it's a lot. But um, if you can make, if every pair of pants requires two yards of fabric, then a hundred yard roll will yield 50 pairs of pants. Stop me if the math is overwhelming. I'm trying to make it keep it. This is this is this is the engineering. We can follow you thus far. Yeah, I know. I know you can't. I know you can't. I'm just like, okay, Raquel, watch yourself. Um, every time you introduce another type of fabric into your garment, you now have to think about how many rolls, like how much fabric are you going to need for that. Um, and if you think about some of your favorite garments, you might have three, four, five different types of fabric in there, especially if it's an outerwear uh, garment. So let's think, you know, your favorite jacket, like your snow jackets, they have a hard shell exterior, but then they might have some sort of soft shell inside with some mesh pockets. Um, all of those fabrics have, they come off of a roll. And when you work with mills, they require a minimum order quantity, an MOQ. And that is basically like, you must order at a minimum this amount. And usually it's at least one roll or um, actually we do all of our, or uh, we're doing all of our production overseas. And so our mills, the requirement, the minimum order quantity for fabric is 3000 yards. Um, and so if you think about that little mesh pocket requires 3,000 yards for a minimum. Well, if I only need 50 yards to make 200 pairs of pants, how many, I need maybe what, two yards, five yards, making this number up, but still it's a lot less than 50 yards to make 200 pairs of pants. So now you have all this excess and waste and it's like, okay, well, what do we do with this? Well, the way that I'm doing it, I'm approaching the, the problem is I just make my entire garment out of the same fabric. So we use as much out of that one roll as we possibly can so that we don't have any extra waste. Um, I also think a lot about the buttons that we're using. Can we use the same button across all of the different products that we use? Because that means we only have to order one set of buttons. It's one shipment of buttons that we can use across all of our garments as opposed to, well, I need this different type of button, this different. Now, again, your MOQs are all over the place. So what do you do with all those extra buttons? I don't know. Um, so I think about it very much from a waste perspective and from a usability perspective. Um, I will tell you, my investors don't love it that our clothes last as long as they do because it means people will only buy it once every five years, which means, you know, it's not like a vitamin where you have to buy another bottle every 30 days. Um, and so, you know, economically, it's like, uh, how do you get your customer to come back? I'm like, I don't know, just continue making things, <laughs> more designs, but also being smart about how many designs are we creating? How many colors do we provide? And just thinking about it in terms of that. That makes sense. Hopefully, it makes sense. It made a lot of sense. I mean, I feel like I feel like that this is a TED talk, um, and I love it. <laughs> it's a die rise. <laughs> oh yeah, 
I am waiting for my moment. How I built, yeah, how I built, I built this. this. I'm, I'm episode waiting. of How I'm I Built This. <laughs> I love it. But it's so interesting because, so immediately my brain was like, okay, so if I bought these pants and I'm thrilled with them, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell my best friend. I'm going to tell, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell my friends about these pants that I've worn nine times and I've washed them eight times and they're amazing. They look the mm-hmm. same. They're wearing so well, like they're comfortable, they're breathable, they're this, they're that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point about when you make something well, how do you get people to invest in it again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I'm just kind of like, okay, well, we'll just keep making it until people don't want it anymore and then we'll stop making it. And we'll move on to the next thing because I don't want to overflow or overfill the the world with too many things. But at the same time, ugh, that's where the business economics of it all comes in. You're like, okay, well, how do I discount? Ugh, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's so many things that I've learned over the last three years that I knew nothing about. And this is where I get in trouble because I'm like, oh, well, how hard could it be to start an outdoor apparel company? Turns out it's real hard, y'all. <laughs> real hard. There, there it is. If I had known, if I had known before I'd started, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> that's the self, that's the overinflated ego being like, I have a degree in mechanical engineering from Caltech. I can do anything. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that's your kind the pants exist in the world you have a company making you have investors you've built a thing yeah yeah I mean it's really impressive and it's exciting and it's this I think you just come from this perspective that is just obviously as we've as we've talked about it's underrepresented right yeah and for all the reasons that you and Carol have discussed um so we've talked about some of the challenges right? With starting this company. What gives you incredible joy in doing what you do now? Yeah. So I don't make this a KPI because um, I believe uh, that you get what you measure and KPI is a key performance indicator. Um, But we have started measuring the success of events based on the number of people who cry happy tears when they put on our clothes. Um, we get messages every week from people saying things like, I've never had hiking pants before, but you've completely changed the game for me. I now feel like I belong. Um, we'll see uh, Instagram posts of people who we have not paid at all. <laughs> they're just like, oh my God, I found these. And they're my favorite pants in the entire world. Uh, also check out the incredible, beautiful Scottish Highlands behind me. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's really fantastic um, seeing the impact we're having on people and giving them this opportunity to feel like I try to tell people we're more than just an apparel company. We're an opportunities for joy company. And we, by giving people that opportunity, um, we've given them a gift. And all I really want to do in the world is make people happy. 
Uh, I thought about doing that through a comedy career, but that that didn't go well. So I just <laughs> I that's something that I don't I did not know about you. Yeah, I did stand up for a hot minute once upon a time. Turns out stand up's really hard. I think I would have preferred doing improv, but I didn't I didn't have time for that. I went and not not with the group I was with. <laughs> I uh, wish I had done that. I had no idea. No idea. Um, I think it's interesting because, you know, you're also, this is probably career number, you know, X, Y, Z for you. It's not your first one, not your first time at the rodeo. You've, you've lived different places. You've done different things. You, you know who you are. And so you're able to really, Brian and I talk about it all the time, like embrace a different kind of life, a, slower life a a life that's more meaningful and happy and joyful um which i think is important to us now in our almost i'm trying not to say older days but as we are now you know we have some work experience and we have some perspective Mm -hmm. on the world and who we are so we're similar in that you know we are, we love to think like, man, we can do a bathing suit. We need to do, you know, cause we also have that same struggle of like, you know, living in a world that doesn't always have space for us. And so trying to like, let's knock down the world and create it ourselves. Um, but then there's also, it's interesting that, that it's hard starting anything. I mean, obviously that yeah. should go without saying, right. Um, but especially as someone who is doing something very different and for a group of people who are often kind of um, not seen as the, the demographic that, that you're targeting, but it's so appreciative, right? And um, I was joking with someone, you know, now I'm, a, I'm an education consultant. I said, like, you know, this is not the business for money. You know, this is not, this is not the consulting business where you make like a lot of money because you're working in education and you're working with yeah. schools with limited budgets and you're working with educators and you have to kind of meet them where they are. And for me, it's not even so much about, you know, making, you know, billions of dollars. It's always nice, but that's not the goal. It's like, I, I like actually impacting um, education. I like actually impacting teachers and helping them to stay and helping it to be sustainable um, for them to want to be there. Um, I know what it's like to, to kind of lose that spark and joy and feel tired. And so as a consultant, I really, you know, try to revise and change and shift the way that education is done, especially for teachers of color, right? Um, who it's hard to just exist as a teacher of color, right? where you have to bring so much of yourself. And as you guys are talking about stealing yourselves at school and making sure that you brought your best selves, your most confident selves to every space, it's exhausting, mm-hmm. you know? So, so we can find <laughs> someone who is in the same room with you who can like, you can ex- exhale with it's really nice um so i try to bring that same kind of energy consulting but yeah it's it's hard there's definitely times you're like how's it going I'm like it's really hard um <laughs> and it is because it's pushing me out of my comfort zone yeah. in a way i don't like yeah. you know i could do yeah. teaching in th- that world like in my sleep uh but it wasn't bringing me joy in the way that this is bringing me joy it's hard um but you're right. You're there to kind of impact people's quality of life and give them opportunities they never thought were possible. So thank you for that. 
it's all part of it's all part of my my higher level ethos of just have as many adventures as I possibly can. How many stories can I write down in my mental storybook by the time I'm done? You know, I think um, a life well lived is a life full of stories, and um, so that's that's what I that's what I strive for. Um, yeah. Yeah. I sometimes I will um I, I'll joke that I will at the end of each day I will give myself a a, a score of a dollar amount. Um and the the dollar amount it might range from say uh you know $500 to uh $15 million and and um and I'll say like you know today was a you know $10,000 day. Uh, and that is the amount of money that I would sell my company for on the day. <laughs> so if I had a, you know, $10 million day, it was a pretty good day. I'd be like, you know what? It's going to take a lot of money for someone to take this away from me. But then there are other days where I'm like, today was a $5 day, y'all. And I cannot, <laughs> you know what? For $5, I'll pay you. You take this away from me. I don't want it. This is so hard. And I think that we have to, we have to keep that in perspective because the Guy Raz, how I built this podcast is so good, but like they only, the format of the show makes it sound like there was one bad moment and then everything magically got better. And that's not the case. Every day is a struggle or it has some, like there's too many things to deal with every single day. And I think this is, you know, all of our lives in general. Um, and it's just a matter of how do I keep my head on straight today and tackle this to-do list? Or maybe it's, you know what? The to-do list be damned. I cannot, just cannot today. And I am going to sit, I'm going to go for a hike or I'm going to go and watch some Netflix or, you know, I saw Ben and Jerry's has a brand new flavor um, of ice cream and I'm going to go get it. And no one else gets to have any. You know, like the, I have those days. We all have these days of, um, of, 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 uh, I don't know what I'm thinking of, but like, you know, days where everything is up and then there are days when everything is down. And then there are days where there's so many ups and downs that at the end of the day, you're just kind of tired. Like oh, I did a lot, but I couldn't tell if it was a good day or a bad day. It just was. And tomorrow we'll start again. Um, but I think that's also kind of fun. I do this to myself. Uh, my husband says, you know, we, we did this to ourselves. <laughs> we signed up for this. We, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, but we signed up for it anyway. Just how hard could it be? Mm. <laughs> I think that needs to be the title of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, I am curious. Carol has referred to herself as an indoor cat um i don't i don't you know it's hot it's hot in kansas it's still hot in kansas it is legitimately fall right now and it is 92 degrees um i'm i'm kind of curious what kind of advice would you give to someone or to these two people right here who you know we like the ac we like a cool beverage you know, um, 
but like what advice and what sort of carrot would you offer to us to you know try to get outside Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so I'm very much a proponent of um, the the boiling a frog in water method, which is sounds terrible. Um, it's very violent. Um, no, it shouldn't be that violent. It's um, the idea is you start with something so incredibly small, so incredibly easy that it seems almost silly. You're like, really? This isn't that big of a deal. Um, so maybe that's go for a walk around your neighborhood. I have decided that we need to redefine the word hiking to mean walking with purpose, period, full stop. I think too many people have associated the word hiking with uh, climbing these massive peaks and uh, with, you know, all the gear. And it's like, no, just get outside. Like literally, what does outside mean? It means outside your front door, go wherever, just get outside. And if you can find a local park, and just sit in the silence and then realize it's not so silent at all, that there are these birds and insects. And maybe if you're careful, like if you're really quiet, you'll hear a little munching of a deer on the grass or, you know, there's, there's something very visceral if you stop and pay attention. Um, and that's it. That, that would be step one. Go to your local park and sit down. That's it. <laughs> And then, you know, then you're like, okay, well, let's try something a little bit more. Walk around your park. Um, then, you know, maybe don't choose the hottest day. <laughs> Wait till it's a little bit nicer. But but it's, there are lots of things that we can all do. Just sit in your backyard if you have a backyard. Not everybody does. Um, if you have the privilege of going on vacation, find a cool spot. I mean, I'm thinking the first thing when you said, we like our AC and we like our cool drinks. The first thing I thought was go to the beach. <laughs> but oh, not, I love the beach. Not the East Coast beach. Go to the West Coast beach where it never gets above 68 degrees and you have to wear a hoodie because <laughs> it's just a little chilly all the time. But I promise you don't need any AC because um, the AC is right there. <laughs> Sounds but, amazing. Um, there's... I remember the first time I moved to Monterey, California, my husband and I were like, we're going to go to the beach every day for as long as we can. And it just eventually got to the point where it was just too cold to go to the beach or we got too busy or whatever. But the first time I went to the beach, it was just like, okay, we're at the beach. We see the waves. Cool. We left. And then the second time we sat and we watched a little bit longer and I was just like, wow, look, there are pelicans. That's a flock of pelicans. How cool is that? And then eventually it got to the point where now, anytime I go to Monterey, because I no longer live there, but when I do go to visit, because I just, I felt this pull a few weeks ago where I was like, I have to go to the beach. So I drove two and a half hours to get to the beach just because I needed it so badly. But now I'm at a point where I can stare at the beach for about three minutes and I can instantly feel my entire uh, cardiac system start to slow down, calm down. I feel better. And then I can spot not only the, um, the pelicans, but also I can see sea otters and, and harbor seals, and I can feel the breeze and I can tell the, the 
the direction the wind is coming from. If I'm really lucky, I might see some humpback whales. Like there's some, it's just so incredible, but you have to train yourself just like anything else, anything else, any new skill requires a little bit of practice and training and homework. Maybe take a class. <laughs> Maybe take a class. I love it. Um, but no, I, I genuinely, um, you know, maybe if someone were to invite me to hang out, I could take you places. And actually, that's a huge part of it is just finding community, finding people who who understand the level that you're at and will take you, meet you at your level and take you just outside of your comfort zone. So you don't even notice that you're doing it. And then you you get you get the benefits and then maybe you'll choose to go even further outside your comfort zone and keep going so anyway i think i could show you all an amazing time uh especially if you come out to california we'll go have an amazing time we'll grab a glass of wine either in discount sonoma or real sonoma It'd be great discount sonoma is i'm dead over this <laughs> I like a discount. We do. We like a deal. We like a sale. If it's free, give me three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Man, this has been an amazing conversation. I have so enjoyed hearing all these things that even though we've had these Zooms and that we've, you know, we've talked a lot over the last few years. I got to learn some things about you today and your journey. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, But I guess I would just ask if there's anything else you want to share with us. Oh my gosh. Um, No, I mean, I think, I think, I think the biggest things are just like being curious about the world, I think is a strength. And, um, Nobody has all of it together. Mm. Every single person struggles. Um, And, you know, every single friend that you can find who lifts you up is a gift and you should treat them as such. Um, My husband (laughs) reminds me that friends are like flowers. You have to water them. Um, (laughs) And so uh, for someone who, does not necessarily count too many people on her friendship list. Um, I try very hard to water the the few friends I have. And sometimes they will forget. So thank God you're a cactus. And I really appreciate that about you because you will still be there. Even if I forget to water you. (laughs) Phenomenal. I want now, like I'll never look at a cactus ever the same way again. Yeah. You'll be like, Oh, that's Rocky. amazing oh gosh thank you so much for your time and i hope that people are listening are also feeling just as as inspired as we are and take those chances you know have many stories in their book and you know figure out what drives them and also visit alpine parrot on instagram they have their website buy a pair of pants now that you know how good they are and the quality and the love that's put into them um and I love it. Let's continue to build a community around getting out of our comfort zones and saying yes to more things and finding opportunities that make us happy. Yeah, definitely. And 
Um, I'm happy to extend a discount to all the listeners of the BFFers podcast. So check the show notes for a code. And Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're welcome. That's so exciting. <laughs> Thank you, Rocky. <laughs> Of course. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful. Thank you for coming on the show. This has been wonderful. My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) And and we'll talk to you soon. Yes. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. Bye. Oh, fine. Bye. And as always, we appreciate you listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please like and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And please tell a friend about the Biffers Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye.